an awesome business, but I want to just tell you this. Um, just to give honor to the king, um, they are great people of faith, Josh and Allie. I love my niece as well by marriage, and she's always been so dear to me, but God opens up phenomenal doors for them. They've not only been on TLC, they've been with Hoda when Kathy Lee was with her on the Today Show. They've been on CBN, um, 700 Club, Daystar, and their following when they were on Rattled on TLC was phenomenal. You can look up that Rattled show, but I will, I will honestly tell you, they're in the middle of some people with some big problems, but they carried their faith. So they were everyone's favorite. Josh said it was easy for them to be everyone's favorite, but they were, and their falling was immense because their faith walk has been immense. It's not just one thing they've overcome, but several. Austin has some pictures he will follow their story with. I love these two so much. I was so privileged to be a tiny bit prayer partner some, during so many of their journeys. They are awesome. Receive them as the man of woman of God in this hour. Laugh with them, cry with them, respond to them. Please welcome to the stage Josh and Allie Taylor. Oh. Thank, obviously, thank y'all. I will say, I'm the crier of us. I will say this. I have to get this part out. Um, we, we have gotten to go all over the country, and you'll, you'll hear parts of our story that are, there's some brutal moments. And in essence, what, what the feedback we always get is like, what, how did you know what to do in this moment? How did you know what to do in that moment? And what, what, I, what we've taken that people are asking is like, when y'all are in that hospital room, did God show up and like say, Josh and Allie do blank? And what we tell you is it never happened one time, not one time that he physically appeared to us or right on a wall. What we tell people is like the cheat code, other than God, which that's, that is the ultimate, that does cha he changes it, period. But this side of that, the family we grew up in and have, and obviously Aunt Rhonda is, I mean, she, she's not kidding. My mom and her, their, their language would not be English. It's, it's prayer. I think I've heard the name Jesus more than I've heard my own name. And if you knew me, you would know how impressive that is. <laughs> um, I, I gave her a lot of reason to say my name and correct me. Um, so I would just tell you, and I have to say to Aunt Rhonda, your picture of faithfulness. For, for a young guy, I'm 37, I'll be 38 in October. I, the real cheat is that I've gotten family, I've got to watch people walk out unfun moments over long, long periods of time that blew my mind, but we still had, we had this, I always had this picture of, I knew I had people praying for us, and I had family this close to us that had walked through, and the only way you are, you are where you are today is by God, that's it, there's no, you're not that good, you're great, but you ain't that good, <laughs> uh, so I, I do want to tell, I have to say in front of her, it's, I mean, I grew up coming to this church once a year, so to be here today as a 38-year-old, 37-year-old, my wife and my children, is is full circle is a crazy moment. I do want to say that that's a crazy moment to me. Obviously, if, if Hank was here, he'd be. Uh, there's no telling what he would be saying. So I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it might be a good thing. There, I, I do want to say that. But thank y'all so much for having us. For I can tell you, for me, it's one of those. If I listed, we have gotten to do some fun things in the world's eyes. We've been in some fun rooms, but I don't know those people today. I don't have their phone number. I really don't care about them. Rooms like this have affected my life, literally affected my life. So just know this is a full circle, such a blessing to get to be here today and, and do this and be at your church. Yes, thank you.
Thank you all so much for having us. And, and like Josh said, Aunt Rhonda to us is royalty. You are truly just such an inspiration to us. I can't tell you how many times throughout our journey you'll hear the highs and lows, and we would get texts and calls from Aunt Rhonda, and her famous line was always, our famous God does it again. And that's just a continual theme throughout our story of God doing it again, continuing to do it again. So today we're going to talk to you about um, the miracles that have happened in our lives. But really you'll hear a lot of the really hard moments we went through because if you're anything like me, we grow a lot in the good moments, but most often we grow more in the desert moments, right? Whenever we're in the really, really dry places of our lives. And Rhonda speaks about us like we're these wonderful, and not that we aren't wonderful people, but we're just normal. <laughs> we're just normal. But the thing very, about us, very. very normal. But the thing about us is we have just chosen to never give up. And we hope that that's conveyed um, in our story this morning. So um, our, I met Allie in, I first saw her when I was in ninth grade. She was in seventh grade. She doesn't remember that. I remember it vividly. <laughs> uh, then in 11th grade, I asked her to go on a date with me. Uh, she went on a date with me reluctantly and then would not answer my phone calls. Well, I don't quit easily. You're going to have to tell me no before I stop. Well, she would never answer her phone or tell me anything, and so I kept calling. I became best friends with her mother. Because <laughs> she would answer the phone. She would answer the phone. Miss Sid and I were very, very close to one another. That did not help. It took over a year and a half or two. Yeah, my senior year for, us to actually, for me to actually get a real chance. So we ended up dating for three years and then got married in 2006. Um, so fast forward, the first five years of our marriage were pretty normal life. And uh, we came to that summer and we thought it was time to have a baby. We were going to try having kids. And through that process, we found out that Allie had breast cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed with stage three um, breast cancer that had spread. So it, it was found in a lymph node. And so in one, you know, in one moment, we're... The call we're planning and the surprise we're planning for our parents is that Allie's pregnant. And then the next moment, we're telling our parents that Allie has breast cancer. So needless to say, for us, our world got uh, turned upside down pretty fast. And in that process, we were in the middle of building a house. And Josh and I were doing a lot of the work ourselves. We were sanding baseboards when I got the phone call that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you've ever gotten a call like that, you know what that moment is. And I will never forget falling on the floor in that room on my knees, um, of course in fear, but also um, just disbelief. But it was such a picture of what our journey was about to be, a place of surrender and God teaching me, you're on your knees right now in disbelief, but this is how you're going to have to walk out this journey, on your knees, in faith, in trust, and realizing that only God can fix this. I think before cancer, I thought problems were problems, but we've learned that if time money or talent can fix something, it's not really a problem, <laughs> right? It's those times where you realize only God can fix this, and that's where we were which in that is, moment. Which is where I think you see guys, especially, I'll say for me, grew up an entrepreneur, even at a young age, mowing yards, uh, selling cookie dough better than anybody could sell cookie dough for fundraisers, <laughs> um, power washing trucks. Like, I, I had never run into anything that money, effort, or, you know, money, my time, or my talent God had given me wouldn't fix and this was the first thing that there was nothing I could do for Allie. There was nothing I could do for us. No amount of money fixed it. And needless to say, for a 27-year-old at that point, there, that was a big, trying to wrestle that was a big deal. And for us, uh, a verse that really, uh, a chapter that really brought us life is Psalm 128. And it says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow His ways. 
You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear fear Him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And um, may Israel have peace. Needless to say, I was fighting. I was hoping my wife would live. I wanted to have kids, and obviously wanted to have grandchildren. So that verse became. When I say we held on to that, that would be the understatement of the world. I'm not sure how we describe what that, you know, what those six verses meant to us for a seven or eight year run, mm-hmm. and certainly mean a lot now. But yes, no, that was that was kind of our scripture that we look back even at that time. And um, different friends would run like breast cancer races and they all had like Psalm 128. So that was kind of just a scripture we stood on during our journey. But one of the, the words that, real, that God gave me at the beginning of our journey was the word joy. And I know that sounds very like how in the world can you have joy in the middle of all of this? And, and honestly, I, many times I've questioned that very thing. But we always like to share this story because it was just a representative, a, a really great picture of how God gave us joy in a really crazy time. So when I was at MD Anderson, one of the first things they had me do was go through so many different tests. And one of the tests was a bone scan. And um, at MD Anderson, if you've ever been there or... Now remember, 24, 27, we've never been in hospitals. We know nothing about cancer treatment, whatever. So we believe everything they tell us. We take it at <laughs> face nice. value. Yes. If you say do blank, we do blank. We want her healed. Yes, ma'am. That's what, I mean, if you say it, we do it. So, so, we, so we go, we walk into this room and this lady is there with like a big um tube, it look, it's, it's like, like this it's, but it's gray and it's got one of those radio radioactive signs on it yes <laughs> you know she walks in and you know like like it like she's playing hot potato with it like <laughs> yes <laughs> like she doesn't want to touch it so we walk in and every a lot of people from md anderson are from all over the world they're brilliant people and it says their name on their name tag and normally where they're from whether it's houston texas or um, Louisiana, but this particular lady, it was from a place in India. So she had a very thick Indian accent. And so Josh and I sat there. Of course, we're scared. The day has been very somber. Every time we walked out to tell our parents news, it's always bad news. And so we, we go to sit down, and the lady says, I'm, I'm going to try to speak in an Indian accent, but I always have to warn people, my accent always goes Australian. <laughs> so I just want to give that, <laughs> that disclaimer. So I, go sit, I sit down in this chair, and the lady says, Hi, Miss Taylor. I'm I'm going to give you injection. And so Josh and I are looking at each other. Of course, she's got this, you know, radioactive thing. And she says, I'm going to give you injection. After I give you injection, you're going to have to pee. And she said, when you have feel like you have to pee, don't hold it, just let it go. Let it go. But I, I totally didn't stage, I didn't I didn't give the setup. Yeah, okay, yeah. so when we go to sit in this room, there's this huge like green, mint green pleather chair. Like it's one of those pleather chairs where like you can't even hit, you know, your feet aren't on the ground. So I'm already kind of awkward in this big it's it's, it's Allie's like it's like a um well, it's it's like Josh at seven on a handicapped toilet. <laughs> You know, like picture that, like my legs are like this, and that chair is huge. And so we walk in there, and that's where Allie's sitting. You know, there's chair all, there's way more chair than there is person. And so she's sitting like this, and that, you know, we believe, again, we believe everything we're hearing. So when she says, just let it go. Yes. So she says, if you need to pee, just let it go. Do not hold it. So I start looking at Josh, and all of a sudden I start thinking, do we have an extra pair of clothes? Like, I'm just going to sit in this chair and pee. And then I start getting really grossed out because I'm like, is this a chair other people have peed in? (laughs) And, like, this is why it's pleather and, like, easy to wipe down. So we start having this conversation. 
Does she have an extra set of clothes? And then all of a sudden, hold on, hold on. So I mean, this is how <laughs> this is how serious it was. This is how serious it was. This is we're, we're describing this like a five minute conversation. This was probably twenty seconds at the most, and she's saying this is going to happen, and Allie's saying okay, and I'm just sitting there on this little rolling stool watching. And I'm like, she's going to need clothes. And so I, I mean, we're very factual. She says, go ahead and go. And I say, baby, I'll go get your clothes. And that, like, woke the lady up to what she was doing to us. And she goes. And so she says, no, 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 Miss Taylor. I'm going to give you injection. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not going Australian. You haven't gone Australian yet. I just have to, give that, I have to say that. She says, I, I'm, after I give you injection, you're going to have to pee. But after the injection, you will have scan. You can in between injection and scan, not, not now. And so we started laughing because I told her, I said, it would have been total placebo effect. She would have given me the injection. I would have peed. <laughs> Even if I didn't have to, because you know when you think something's going to happen. So we are laughing hysterically. She probably thinks we're crazy. Our family's waiting for us in the waiting room. Of course, they're wondering the next news. Every time we walk out, we give news, and we're laughing and telling them this story. And it was just that reminder of God giving us those bits of joy. Because I think when you go through a hard time, sometimes it can even be hard. Even when you have those moments of joy, you don't want to press into them because you want to be sad, you want to be mad, you want to be angry. And it was that reminder of, Lord, every time you give us those little bits, we're going to hold on to them, we're going to laugh. And so we kind of made that a non-negotiable. We just said, okay, this is our non-negotiable. We've got to find joy in this process. And needless to say, there were moments laughter didn't fit, that we yeah. just laughed, and you just, you're heartbroken, you're, you have no clue what's coming. Um, and so, uh, that happens, Allie um, ends up having 16 rounds of chemo, uh, radiation, we moved to Houston, get radiation, Allie has a, uh, is getting ready for a double mastectomy. We, we had some, obviously you have some huge moments, whether you're 50 when this happens and you're married, or 20, uh, and for us, one of those moments was before Allie's mas- double mastectomy, she, we're sitting at home and she just says, Josh, will you, um, will, you, will you still find me attractive after this? And um, I just looked at her and said, you know, Allie, obviously, yes, I'll find you more beautiful than ever. And that, uh, you know, the scars, whatever that is, will be reminders of what Satan tried to do. And, you know, and God stepped in and healed you. Um, and again, what I would tell you is we believed all that in that moment, but we're stepping out on faith saying that that day's coming. And so just know, like what Allie said, you have as, you're going to have as much, we had as much trouble being joyful in pain as we also did having faith without knowing the end result. Mm-hmm. That's equal. You're going to do both. You're going to, I'm committing to joy when I don't know the outcome, but I'm also committing to have faith that God's going to heal Allie and we're going to have his version of our life, and there won't be cancer. So that, like, you're exposing yourself. You have to expose yourself to pain in order for God to be God. Or you're just, you're just playing it safe. You just give up. And if it, if it ends up good, then, way well, it ended up good. But you, you're shielding your heart from, the attempt to shield your heart from hurt will not work. So all I would say in that moment, you, you're going to get that either way. But if you don't choose to have joy and experience faith, then it's just willy-nilly. God doesn't become God for you like He can. Um, so just know in those moments for us, it wasn't easy either. And in, in Psalm 143.5, it says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done, and I ponder the work of your hands. And so when Josh was talking about my scars and kind of reframing it as just a reminder of what God has done, it just 
it reminded me of that. Like, how blessed am I that every day I have this reminder of what Satan tried to do. And so I want to encourage you, you. A lot of us, many of you in this room have gone through a miracle, but maybe you've forgotten. Or maybe you haven't put it right in front of your face what God has done for you. And we can find ourselves in a hard time. And sometimes even me, when I go through cancer scares or other things, I'll be so scared. And then all of a sudden it'll hit me. Think of what God has done, Allie. Remind yourself. And, um, and so I, I want to encourage you all to do the same. Because if we don't intentionally remind, we will relapse. Um, and so just I, I want to encourage you to intentionally remind yourself. Because every day I'm reminded of what God did for me through my scars. Um, so we had, so Allie went through the 16 rounds of chemo. We have, I guess, two months of radiation. Uh, then we have double mastectomy. The big part about that was, and the way our treat, Allie's treatment went, and I'll say that I, I caught myself there and I changed it. It's our treatment. I will say that to men. Your wife does not go through infertility. Your wife does not go through breast cancer. You go through infertility. We, or we go through infertility, we go through breast cancer. That is, even that, even hearing that, I forget that was such a big learning curve where I had a mentor that said to me, Josh, this is not just Al, mm-hmm. this is both of you. Right. And think about it that way. Um, anyway, so the big thing about that was because we did chemo first, we were going to find out how the chemo worked through the mastectomy because they remove anything that could be infected, in essence could have disease, so... Allie was given like a 20% chance that she would be cancer-free. We go to MD Anderson to get the results, and on April 30th, 2012, a doctor walks in and uh, brought two doctors, and usually that's a very bad sign for the record. And, um, and Dr. Litton said, um, or we said, she said, did you hear yet? And we were like, no, we haven't heard yet. We've been sitting here for 30 minutes. And, uh, and she said, well, I want to bring this other doctor. And, and we said, is it good? Is it okay? And she said, it's not okay. It's perfect. Um, Allie was Allie was totally cancer free, mm-hmm. and so. And and the reason she had brought those other two doctors in was because one was a pharmacist, the other one was I can't remember what the other one is, but she wanted them to see the fruit of their labor and to see a success story because sadly, oftentimes they don't have those, and so it was such a a moment to us. And and to rewind just a little bit, that that week before um, we received my results, Josh and I. This was a big moment for us because we were talking about the results. And, of course, I was trying to have faith that they would be good, even though doctors had prepped us that they wouldn't. And Josh was, even though he was a huge believer for me in this process, I could tell that he was scared to fully believe. And um, so as we were talking, he was kind of saying, okay, if it comes back this way, that might mean we have to be in Houston longer. Of course, he was trying to be a good husband, trying to think about work stuff and everything else. But to me, as he was talking through that, all I heard was, backup plan, backup plan, backup plan, not believing, not believing. And so I finally just was brave enough to just say, you are not believing with me. I said, I need you to believe with me. And I just remember from then on there being a really stark difference because we thought, okay, if we get in there and you still have cancer, God will help us through it. But I don't need to prep for that not to happen. I need to believe that this is what God can and will do. And that was a huge turning point for us. Um, so after I was cancer-free, I thought life would be wonderful. We thought, and it, and it was, we were so thankful for a period of time. But after that trauma, um, I realized that we still had a lot, or I, and I had a lot to work on in myself, dealing with fear and grief and cancer recurrence. I was told I had a really high likelihood of cancer recurring within the first two years with my type of cancer. And so 
I went through every brain scan, CT scan, um, endoscopy, colonoscopy, everything you can think of, just constant fear. But um, through all of that, we also learned that um, the chemotherapy had affected my fertility. So that scripture that Josh talked to you guys earlier about, Psalm 128, right before I started my chemotherapy, our doctor sat us down and said that there was a high likelihood that my fertility would be compromised and that we didn't have time to preserve fertility. Normally, somebody my age, she would wait two weeks to start treatment. But when we asked her if we, how long we had, she said, you don't have any time. She said, you need to start yesterday. So that was a huge scripture that we stood on and believed on. And so, so then we were told that through my chemotherapy that it did affect my fertility and that I was told that I could not become pregnant. Of course, we were devastated, um, and we prayed and asked God what to do. But very clearly, we felt him lead us toward adoption. And, and what we started realizing was, uh, and this has not always come easy, we're, we're up here today, like it's 11, 11 years removed, so I do want to say that. You're talk, don't ever forget, you're seeing us 11 years. Yeah. So it's, we, we talk about it, but if you had talked to me in year five, this sounds, I do want to clear that up, this sounds different. Right. So um, what we would say is, what we, looking back, it's certainly easier. But every time we ran into a wall, it was God setting us up for something better than we could have asked for. Yeah. Uh, way better than I could have written on paper. Mm-hmm. And, and what we would tell you is one of those big no's was Allie's infertility, or our infertility, like that, our infertility. Um, and that is, in that, it was what we would say was heartbreak, hurt, whatever, was actually God setting us up for one of the, the most incredible yes in our life at that point up to that point, and that was Genevieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I can tell you, in the middle of that no, when we're sitting in an infertility office and the doctor tells us to stop, and we say, no, we're not stopping, we're at least trying, that is, it's a lot easier to talk about this today than it was that day in Jackson, Mississippi. I do want to say that. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember somebody telling me throughout my cancer journey, cancer will make sense at some point. And I remember thinking, nope, I don't think so. You know, you're, not, you're not going through it. And then... Um, but when we met our first daughter, Genevieve, it made sense. And it was worth every, every bit of it to see her. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, good until I start talking about my kids. <laughs> but um, anyway, so when we saw her, everything came. Um, it just came. It made sense. Um, but we, we knew that she, her story is a complete miracle. And, and Josh can kind of share a little bit about that part. Which I will say this, and we don't say this to other churches. There are parts of our story we now don't tell because of our girls' ages. Right. I will say that. Yeah. So. That's just, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can tell you is we had a moment, probably one of the most, um, goodness. We were walking down a hospital hall, and I just looked at Allie, and I just said, you know, Allie, I, this may be our Abraham moment. This may be, we're not God testing us, but will we do, what, what are we willing to go to? What ex, how hurt are we willing to be to fight for God's will without knowing what the end of that is? And we're walking in a hospital hall, and we just say, we, we, give, it, we give her to you, God. And um, little did we know, within a couple hours, that all totally changed on its head by absolutely God showing up. And uh, Genevieve Rose Taylor is our little girl. And, um, mm-hmm. yes. Yes. and um, that was the first true miracle we had seen. We almost had a failed adoption, and through a, a prayer and... The Lord speaking to the birth mother of our first daughter, 
um, everything completely changed. And, and once again, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But God did the impossible. And I will tell you, you cannot manipulate God's will. Like, I, I don't know what would have happened. I don't, I don't have to know what would have happened. If, your heart, if our hearts had not been pure, I don't want to know what God... We were pure. When we prayed, when we believed, it was for the good. Mm-hmm. Not our want, mm-hmm. but the good, the good and God's will, which are two, usually two different, on the face of it, are two different things. You're hoping they overlap. You're hoping that your desire lines up with God's will. But I'm afraid a lot of, almost 100% of the time when you pray, you don't have that promise yet. You don't know that, if, that your hope lines up with His will. So we had our Genevieve. We, we thought that this was not the end of our story because we were only, I was 29 at the time, but I thought, okay, cancer makes sense. Like, we have our baby. We were totally just content. Um, but God always has more for us, right? Always does it again. And so nine months after we had her, I started not feeling well. I had an infection in my arm, which was a side effect of cancer treatment. And um, basically found out that I was pregnant through that, which you would think I would be excited, but at first I was very um, confused. I thought something was wrong because it wasn't that doctors told me that pregnancy was, you know, a low chance. It was that it was impossible. Right before we decided to go through adoption, we had been matched with an egg donor and had thought about doing that, but it it wasn't even in our our future as, as a possibility. So we found out I was pregnant with a healthy pregnancy, completely normal. I thought surely I would be high risk (laughs) or something, but it was completely normal. And then a month after we found out I was pregnant, I received a phone call from um, our birth family, from our first daughter, and the birth mother was pregnant again. And our prayer for her is always that she would be able to be in a place to raise children and have children of her own, but she was still not in that place and asked if we would adopt again. So we we said we needed to think about it, but we really didn't need to think about it because <laughs> we knew what the answer was going to be, but we thought we prayed and said yes. And so our, I was due three weeks before her, and so it was as if we were going to have twins because we knew that their due dates would be so close. Um, but we also got another phone call in that time from um, the television network, TLC, which is what Rhonda um, ex- or explained to you guys about us being on the TV show. And do we have that video that we can play? Okay, so we'll play that video. <laughs> okay, no, you're fine. I thought of something really deep to say a second ago, and I forgot it. <laughs> this was the spot. Really? I thought of something. And oh. <laughs> it left. I was like, I can't interrupt her again. <laughs> This is what I'm scared when there's just silence and you don't know what he's going to yes, say. This is yes. danger, danger, danger. I'll, while they're fair, you play when you're ready. Uh, even in that, I so we found out in January. I we made plans to move to Kentucky, not to go to Kentucky, to move to Kentucky. In March, in March, I found out I was losing my job. Uh, so. Just know, again, like you're seeing us at the end when God proved himself and we still have our clothes on our back. I can tell you, like March, we were still going. I was, we, we didn't let up on the plan. We we're still going to get the children. Like it was still happening. I had no idea what I was going to do. O- other than, that's probably not all fair. I did real estate, so like I could go, I had ways to go make money 
but I lost like the guarantee, which is probably where God wanted us to be and all. But just know, I mean, we went out, and that like they don't show that on the TV show that actually we we start this show and Josh didn't have a job. Woo! <laughs> yeah, what a what a great idea. Uh, but so just know, even in that, like people tell the highlight. And it's not that I should, you should always tell the bad stuff. But just know, even when we're fighting toward believing God, we had some variables that had we told people, they'd be like, you're doing, we're doing what? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so just know, I think that's, that is what I would remind you, whether you're looking at Aunt Rhonda's life or our, anybody's life, just remember in the middle when they were clawing and fighting, it looked different than to five years after I talk about, after it happened. So... Don't confuse yourself. We're all, you know, it, you're you having to convince yourself it's going to be okay is normal. Mm-hmm. You want us to keep going? Okay. Um. So, like Josh said, we moved temporarily to Kentucky. And when I say moved, if you've gone through adoption before, if you adopt a baby out of state, you have to wait. It's normally like three weeks after they're born before you can leave the state. And then our, the reason we went to Kentucky was because... I was going to deliver in Kentucky. We were afraid that if we stayed in Louisiana, which is where we live, that we might miss the birth of our other baby being born in Kentucky. So we had some really amazing friends that had an RV, and we took an RV <laughs> with our baby, our 17-month-old Genevieve at the time and every baby thing you can imagine for two babies, knowing that when we came back to Louisiana, we would have two babies. We stayed at an RV park in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. KOA. Uh, I had no idea these existed. <laughs> this place had a pool, had an air, uh, like, a, like a tarp trampoline deal. This is a funny story. Allie was fully pregnant at this point, like fully pregnant. Fully pregnant. We go jumping on this tarp. I'm going to call it a tarp trampoline. I don't, have y'all seen those? They have them like at pumpkin patches. They're like in the wall, here. and they kind of are like, anyways. And she's jumping. Ground, I mean. Yeah, you said wall. Sorry, like, in the ground. Not I've never the seen one in a wall, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> in the ground. In the ground. <laughs> maybe, my, maybe my memory's faded. I don't know. And uh, so we're jumping. We go the next day to the doctor, and, we, and like, she's, you know, she's having to deal with these cameras too. And so at some point she said, what are y'all, so like, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we... Did this and that. We were jumping on that tarp trampoline. She's like, you did what? She's like, oh, it can, uh, you don't need to do that. It can separate your placenta from your body or something. I'm like, oh, whoa. Is that the right word? I don't know if it's the right word. You, it, was, it, was a, it was a body part I don't have. And, and it could become detached. That's, that's all I knew in that moment. We started, we were listening. So I transferred doctors at 38 weeks pregnant is how, well, I was 36 weeks when I went down there, but saw the doctor at 38 weeks pregnant and then went into labor on August 14th of 2016. And so uh, August 14th, Vera is born. Obviously, you guys, a huge picture. It was big for both of us, but me as a husband, you know, let's back up to October of 2011, and I'm wondering, is my wife going to live? Are we going to have children? And, you know, we fast forward to August 14th, 2016, and there is my wife laid on a hospital bed. You know, I get to catch the, I get to catch Vera, give her to Al, the picture of God's faithfulness. Not only just giving Allie life, but Allie giving life. You know, usually if you'll wait long enough, you'll see that God is faithful. It's, it's, it's us that bails out. And then 11 days later, we got a phone call that our birth mother was in labor, and this is our Lydia. Um, and we got to be there for her birth, so we were so thankful because our fear was that they would be born on the same day, and 
missed the birth. And so, of course, the film crew ate that up. You know, we're all about the, the babies being on the same day, but we just wanted to, to be able to be there for her birth. So we were so thankful to be able to. But we ended up transferring from our RV to an Airbnb where Josh's parents and my parents and my sister and other family were able to come to. And I remember sitting in that Airbnb with my two babies, with Josh, or with two little babies and with my 17-month-old, and just being overwhelmed at God's goodness. Like Josh said, just reminding myself that God continues to do good over and over. I thought of my stirring thing. Um, <laughs> what I would tell you that about the TV deal, I think this because it's a big piece, because it's different now than it was when we started. We started a... When Allie got diagnosed, I'm a preacher's kid in, Monroe, in West Monroe. I did not want to come into town every week from Houston and have to update people. Not, they were loving us, but I'm not sure I could handle re-saying 300 times what, where Allie was and wasn't. So we started a blog on blogspot.alliesfight. Before blogging was big, before there was any way to capture your email, before social media, we had Facebook, but not like today. Most likely when people start social media and blogs today, I'm not saying it's bad. There's a goal to that. I'm not saying it's negative. People, that's just the, that's the facts. We started that blog um, simply because I was not sure I could handle answering that many questions. I would break down. Um, so we did that for like five years. We wrote a book to fund an adoption and sold it. We blogged before there was any monetary return. We did social media as a Facebook page. Uh, totally at the suggestion of other people. There was no, we did not know at that time we were doing something that made the TV opportunity make sense. Mm -hmm. We didn't, if we had not done all that and you come to us and say, hey, we're going to put you on TV and whatever, we would not have known that maybe God was using us for a time Mm -hmm. to reach a large amount of people and then we go back to being normal. Mm -hmm. Life goes back to being normal. So just know a lot of, even for us, what I would tell you is pre this, TV would not have made sense. It will ruin you. Yeah. It is not normal. No one is that big a deal. I mean, I mean that with everything within me. You're not that big a deal. We're not that big a deal. Because of what God had like slowly built up in us by doing the blog, Allie, Allie at that point had written like 300 blogs with no money coming to us, nothing. Um, we had spoken never for money. We had, like, none of that. So when TLC called us, it fit the next step of what God was building. And we also knew immediately that TLC was not long-term for us. We knew this was short-term. It'll ruin you. And so we did it for two years and told them, we're out. You will not want us after year two, we promise. And that, that all came to truth. They don't want this style which is fine, but just know, I think that's a big piece when you look at two people. It, it does not make sense unless God makes it make sense. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, because it, I, I do want to say that social media can, can be good and all that. It can also ruin people. So just know, I, I want to say that out loud. It is hilarious to us that they put us on TV for two years. Like, like, like even when we think about it, like, y'all are crazy. But just know, what it, when God sets something in motion, it actually, as silly as that sounds to the people around us when we told them, other than the hilarity of putting us on TV, it made sense. It was a, that was a build to that, which I think is an important piece when you're trying to figure out 
is this something God wants me to do or is this flesh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and I remember back whenever we were trying to have a baby, before I found out I had breast cancer, I was starting a Ph.D. program. Josh was coaching basketball team. He was the director of development at the school that he was coaching. And I remember us kind of talking through our dreams, you know, what we hoped for. I'm going to start this program. I'm going to, you know, you wrote down all these things. Well, then on October 17, 2011, if you're anything like me, you may have a date that you date your life by, pre this death, pre this diagnosis, pre this divorce, pre this, you know, whatever it is. That's how it was for me. Our life literally stopped. We laughed because I had a planner, and I'm a color-coded planner with sticky notes. And I mean, it literally is like sticky note. And then after October 17th, nothing there. Because life completely went off course. Everything we had planned was destroyed. But our plans oftentimes need to be destroyed. And we have to be willing for them to be destroyed because what God has given us is way better than we ever had dreamed or planned. And if you had met us, again, 12, let's say 12 years ago, you would, I, would, I would be a screaming entrepreneur. You would have said, that crazy guy has all kinds of dreams. There's no telling what he thinks he's going to do. Allie, with where she was with her PhD, you would have said, we're going to start a biz. Like, there's no telling what we, if we had written on paper our dreams, we think we would have had big dreams. I can tell you. Sitting here today in 2022, what I would have written on paper would not have held a candle, a candle to what we have today. And I'm not sure I have a dime more money than when I started. <laughs> I'm no younger than when I started. You know, like, but the truth is what God had for us mm-hmm. so exceeded anything I could have written down. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to even think about. So after we did um, the TV show, we ended up writing a book, which was a dream of mine to be able to share my story. I remember when I was diagnosed, one of the first things I did was go to the bookstore, which was actually a really bad choice. (laughs) But I remember looking through, trying to find people with my cancer, and and sadly, every book I found um, was very discouraging. It was often something written about someone who had passed away, and, and, and I just thought, if I survive this, when I survive this, I'm writing a story of hope that someone can pick up with my diagnosis, be given hope, or without my diagnosis, and be given hope for whatever they're going through. So we wrote a, a book, which we were so excited to do, was sold in, in any bookstore, but our story wasn't over, and it never is over, and, and I'm sure if you see us in five years, it won't be over, but a lot has happened even since then. So we were, I'm a home, I build houses, and I'm a general contractor, and so we're in the middle of building. We sold our house, bought a lot, and we're building, getting ready to build a house for us, and we're on like our third set of plans, which always happens to me, to, you know, like to us, and so we had just met with our architect over the phone for like two hours, and he was going to update the plan the next day, and we would have it by 8 a.m., and Allie's in the ki- I'm sitting on the couch. Allie's in the kitchen, and she's wanting to talk about this plan, like changes to it, you know, I'm trying not to just totally unravel. Like, baby, he's going to have it tomorrow morning at 8. What are, we, what are we talking about? Like, there's nothing to talk about. Well, she just kept going. So finally, I got my honey up off the couch. And you see, Allie videoed this. And you see me walk over, and my hands are in my pocket. I'm just looking at her like. Like, seriously, we're doing this again? You know, she, she's leaned over the table, showing me the rooms of the house and whatever. And I'm behind her, and I'm trying to, you know, control my face, which can be a problem. And, uh <laughs> And so I keep looking, I'm, I'm looking at her and looking at her, and finally she just keeps going, like, here's, the, here's Genevieve's room, here's the kitchen, and she's pointing. And finally she goes to this room, and it says baby's room. And I read it. She doesn't say it, but I read it. And I was like, and I, I, I wish this wasn't the first words out of my mouth, but it was. I said, shut up. <laughs> and so Allie was pregnant with our fourth little baby. Yes, yes. 
And that's who you saw up here with Renee. So she'll be one in just a couple of weeks. And I think that's that's the crazy thing about our story. And, and we laugh because people are like, now you've got to add more to the book. And we're like, no, this that's just life, right? It's just more amazing things happen. And we've gone through way more hard times since we've written the book. you know. And that's just, that is life, just that series of hills and valleys that, that we all experience. Um, but we celebrated another huge milestone in April. I had my 10-year cancer-free date, which was a huge, huge date. Um, and I felt especially led to share this story this morning, and it doesn't necessarily tie in with the message, but as I was sharing it with Josh, he said, I feel like you need to share that. So just have your heart open as I share this, because it may be for you, it may be for all of us, but I wanted to share this, this story. So I went for my 10-year checkup, and it was actually scheduled on my birthday this year, which I did not think was any coincidence. Um, but Josh was going to go with me. We were going to bring Estelle. We brought Genevieve to some of my MD Anderson checkups, so I thought, oh, we brought our first baby we can bring our last baby and so we go what for we my think is our last baby yeah, no it's, it's our last baby <laughs> I'm probably a little more open <laughs> he'd have a million he'd have a million children if it was a dude so uh so we go we we go I'm to, also out of the house working <laughs> yes I am the one at home with the children um so we we go to my MD Anderson appointment and we get out of the car and we walk in and it's of course it's much different now with COVID restrictions and all used to you could just bring a kid but you couldn't go up to the eighth floor which was the chemo floor at the breast center of MD Anderson. So um, I knew that a baby couldn't go up there, but we had brought Genevieve before. So we, we walk up into the hospital and they have like a COVID questionnaire. And so we get in the car, before we go, before we leave, I'd already told Josh, I said, when we go this time, it is my goal to go to the eighth floor, which was the chemo floor at MD Anderson. It, as far as all of my memories and scary times there, that floor held a lot of scary memories for me. The smells, the people, the places. And so I've been able to go back and go to the fifth floor, the second floor. I have all these floors that are my places. But I always had this dream of going back and like thanking nurses, talking to people there, seeing patients, praying for them. And every time, so we, after my two-year checkup, I go back every year. So every yearly appointment, it was my goal to go up to that eighth floor. Couldn't do it. Every time I had intention of doing it, and I would back out. Whether it be fear or something, I would just think, no, I'm not going to go. This feels weird. But it's just a fear that I've held on to. So this time I told Josh, I said, it's my 10-year. I'm doing it. I'm going to that eighth floor. And I said, you know what? I think it will be special if we bring 10 of my books. I said, I'm going to go up to each one of these ladies and give them a book. I was like, 10 years, 10 books. I'm trying to, like, pressure myself to do it this time. And so we have a diaper bag of all of Estelle's stuff that she might need. That's our baby's name. So we stuffed the 10 books in her diaper bag, zip it up, go up to the place to check in. And as they're asking us all the COVID questions, they tell us that the baby can't come in to the appointment, that babies can't come in to MD Anderson, which, what does that mean? Josh can't come in. It's just the three of us. We live six hours away. And so I start to get emotional but because I'm picturing this 10-year appointment with my husband, with my baby. I've got my books. And so we kind of have like a short moment there where he's like, I love you. I'm praying for you. He goes back in the car with Estelle. And so um, I go for my appointment. It's a wonderful appointment, but it was on the second floor. <laughs> so I, I call, I'm done with the appointment. I'm so thankful. I had my moment of thank you, Lord. I'm, I can't wait to call Josh. As I get out, I start talking myself out of going to that eighth floor. <laughs> you know, this is silly. I've got a diaper bag on. I don't have my baby with me. It's full of books. My husband's not there. He was going to be kind of my support, but I don't listen to the voice and say, I'm going, I'm going. 
So I go to that A4, I'm literally shaking, and I press the A button, which I haven't pressed in, you know, at that point, I guess, nine years, eight years. And so as I get off the floor, I get ready to turn to the right corner to look at that door, and it's completely different than what it was. So it used to just be a solid door, and it used to always be open. You could just go right in, waiting room. But as I go in, it's a different door, and it's glass. And as I look through it, every, nobody's in the room. Like, the room is empty. Like, it clearly has been empty for some period of time. There's tables and chairs, and, and on the other side, everything looks normal, like the non-chemo area. And so I ask the people there, and I'm like, what, you know, where's the chemo area? And they say, oh, no, that, the like, they were almost like, what do you mean the chemo area? That had been moved several years ago to, like, a totally different area of the hospital. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so I'm, like, a little kind of shaken up, like, this was my plan or whatever. So I get back in the elevator, and I go back down, and i like, what do I do? I've got these books. So I go to the fifth floor, which is, like, the general floor for breast cancer people, but it's not people that I know are going through treatment. My goal was, like, seeing people there that were going through treatment. So I find 10 ladies. A couple ladies said they didn't want a book, which was fine. <laughs> but I, I'm like, hi, I'm sure I look like an infomercial person. Like, hi, I'm Allie, my 10-year appointment. I'd love to bless you with a book, you know. So several were very thankful, but I'm sure I seemed a little kind of like, who is this person? So I give all of my books. And as I'm headed down to meet Josh and Estelle, I am like flooded with emotion. And I'm trying to figure out where is this emotion coming from? But it wasn't even that the poignancy of this moment had come, that I was at my 10-year appointment. But it was rather that this thing that I had feared for years wasn't even there anymore. Um, and I think I, I was flooded with emotion because this eighth floor that I'd avoided for years, I dreaded and pleaded with God to not allow me to visit. I'd avoided every, every time I went on an elevator and I thought somebody was going to press eight, I was, you know, ready to, to bolt. I just never wanted to go to that floor. I had talked myself out of going at each appointment. It wasn't even there anymore. Um, I was flooded with emotion because I realized that it wasn't COVID that had prevented Josh from coming or my baby from coming with me, that God wanted me to do this alone. He wanted me to experience this alone, me and Jesus in the elevator, pressing the eighth floor, going up to that um, and realizing that that fear wasn't even there. And that fear, just that reminder that fear is a liar. This fear I had held on to every year at every appointment was for nothing at all. And lastly, I was flooded with emotion because it was the Lord reminding me that that part of my journey is over, that it's not even there. And so I had just this moment... had this moment that fear is not from God. He gave me a sound and clear mind after that, and he gave me a peace that I had never experienced before because I realized, though, if I would have gone up to the eighth floor years before, yes, Josh might have been with me, but that fear would have been gone. It wasn't like just this year this room was gone, but that I'd held on to this fear that I did not need to hold on to. So as we kind of start to close today, I want to encourage you to put fear in its place if you're holding on to a fear today. Surrender that fear. Choose to trust God with whatever it is that you're fearing. Because even if your worst fear comes true, God will help you walk through that. Just like I that moment I told Josh and said, I need you to believe with me. Well, of course he's scared. If I believe and it doesn't come true, where do we find ourselves? God will be there. He will be there to pick up the pieces. But Faith is never wasted, like Rhonda has said a million times. And Courtney, faith is never wasted. And I did not, I knew that I could not give in to that fear. So whoever needs to hear that this morning, 
I, play, I pray that you release that fear. And like I told earlier, our story is just a story of people who never gave up. I, I, one of the things growing up in church you hear people say is, I don't, know if, I don't know if this was the case for you, or I don't know if, I do know. The Bible clearly says you will have trouble. Mm-hmm. It's clear that you do need Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to say the disclaimer of, well, I don't know if, I don't know if you felt these things that Allie and I have felt. I, do, I know you have. Mm-hmm. What I, I probably should say is I pray God shows you, shows you where you're not letting him in, mm-hmm. where you're, you're thinking you have that much control that we're Josh and Allie are that big a deal that I can control fear and I'll deal with it when I get there and I get to choose my hurt. Just know you are you at that point. I'm what I'm afraid we're do, Josh is doing is I'm putting Josh above Jesus, and that's idolatry. That's saying that Jesus is not a, my savior. That's I'm, I'm undoing a lot of things he did on the cross. You know what I'm saying? So just know as you deal with like what Allie's describing. Things we hold and say, I'll deal with that, I'll deal with that, I'll deal with that. What you're saying is, God, I got this. Mm-hmm. And you are kidding yourself if you think you got this. Mm-hmm. Just That's just, that. Just, well, I can tell you in, that, in those moments when you're trying to decide, am I going to give this to God, just know you're not that big a deal. That you are, you are, that is Josh Taylor. Elevating Josh Taylor above the risen Savior. Like that, which is a problem. If you didn't know, that's a real problem. <laughs> that, that, would call, that would bring a lot of the things in the Bible into play in my life that I don't want in play in my life. So we want to pray for you guys. And, and I, wanna, I, I, I do want to specifically pray for that. Any dark area that you're either not addressing, scared to address, or that you're not sure that God can handle, or that you could handle God handling it. Because sometimes God handling something, it's still not fun. It is still tough. If I've created a hole for Josh to climb out of, even with God's assistance, it's still climbing out of a hole. There are moments of miracles, that, but, and one thing Al didn't say, or we didn't say this time is, majority of what we dealt with was healings. Long, long healings. Like, Six months, years. We did have a few moments where we would say were miracles. They were, a situation was this, something happened, and, and within seconds, it totally flipped on its head. We would call that a miracle. God shows up and you go, oh boy, that was wild. But for the most part, and I know you guys have experienced it, it doesn't work like that. You know, I, as silly as it sounds as a builder, it's what I want to teach my kids. It's stacking bricks. You know, it's, and one of the things I'm going to do with my little girls is I, I literally want to stack a brick a day. They, you're not allowed to stack more than one brick a day. But we're just going to stack bricks somewhere every day. What I would tell you is the, the good of, your, of age is that you've seen that. The bad of youth at 27 where we were I haven't lived, I had not lived long enough to be as sold on God's grace and goodness as Aunt Rhonda and my parents. So I was more like, we were like, God, you're just gonna have to do this. I really don't, I wear 30, I'm 37, so I got a little more proof now. But what I would tell you is, it's, a, it's just stacking bricks, and stacking bricks is not fun. 
I don't know how else to tell you that. There are fun moments of stacking bricks. There's fun moments of progress. But for the most part, until it's done, it is not pretty. So just know I want to pray for you, whatever. What I do know is, and I don't have to wonder, is in this room, it ranges from fear of a parking spot at lunch to a kid that's totally left the faith and if, if they died today would be in a world of trouble to a marriage that's gone and everything in between, every, feeling like you have no control, feeling like you can't overcome something. And I, let me give you the bad news. You can't. It's only with God. Josh, ain't, I'm, again, I, I don't like, ain't's not a good word. I ain't that good. The Bible's clear that without God totally altering our hearts, change will not be long-lived. It won't. So what we want to pray and believe for you guys is that wherever you are today, that God would give you the... What we pray for our girls every night is, Lord Jesus, help them to hear you and help them to know it's you and then give them the strength to act. It's one thing, A, I want want you to hear God. I want to hear God. I want to know it's God. But then, Lord Jesus, give me the fierceness, the fight to keep stacking. I know it's a ridiculous analogy. To keep stacking bricks. So that's what I'm going to pray for you guys, whatever that is. Um, and just know God knows it. So when you pray this, don't. when I'm praying and you're thinking about it, call it what it is. It may be the first time you've ever said what it really is, not what you have told people it is. Maybe it's you've always dealt with the uh, symptom because you think people can handle this knowing your symptom. What they can't handle is knowing the real cause. And it's a hard heart. It's not knowing God's grace, not thinking you're worth God's grace. And the truth is we're not, but he wanted to give it and he gave it. So I'm going to pray for you. And just know again for us, this has been such an honor uh, to be such a wild idea to be sitting here at 37 and you're sitting there by yourself. Crazy. Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. We don't deserve you. Um, You're just so consistently good. God, I pray for everyone in this room, all of us, what we're dealing with, that we are treating it like the eighth floor, that one day we'll deal with it, and we're not sure you're big enough to do it now. God, you're big enough to do it right now. I pray that everyone in this room hears you, they know it's you. God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what comes out of today. Thank you for continuing to show Allie and I your goodness and your grace. We don't deserve it, but we promise, we promise we're so thankful. Thank you, Aunt Rhonda. I pray that you continue to guard her. Give her life, give her peace, give her strength. Uh, Thank you so much for her faithfulness. Thank you for what she has walked out over a long period of time when it wasn't always fun. Thank you for Church of the Harvest. and Thank you this is a group of people that love you, irrelevant of the location of the building. I pray that you touch them, be with them. 
pray that they see you so clearly in their lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Incredible, incredible. <laughs> Can we give the Lord a hand and Josh and Allie? So awesome. Y'all just, I'll just come standing here as I close. I just love you so much. I love you so much.